failure, something all of us have experienced. Maybe something you said that was untrue or unkind. A decision that you made that you regret and wish you could go back and fix. Maybe it's a time in which you lost your temper or you just didn't handle the situation rightly. All of us have been there. All of us have been in situations in which we have failed. And all of us have failed, and the reality is, moving forward again in the future, we are all going to fail again. The question is, what do we do when we fail? When we get to Mark chapter 9, we see where Jesus takes a failure of nine of his disciples, and he uses it as a means of drawing people to himself. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 9. And as you're turning there, uh, if there are kids who are engaging with us online or those who are here this morning and you want to draw pictures of what you hear from the story, I would love for you to do that. Uh, I got two uh, pictures that I want to share with you this morning that I got from kids uh, this one was from Presley Meyer. Last week, she got, I got this one in the mail uh, from last week's sermon. She drew me a picture, and she wrote on it, God is our Savior. And Presley, you are exactly right. God is our Savior. Thank you for sending this to me. And then this morning, right before uh, I got the opportunity to preach, uh, someone here in our, our congregation, a little girl, wrote, Dear Church, thank you for the church. And because of you, we can love Christ and I can become a Christian. And so I am just grateful for you children. You are loved by Jesus. And I love getting pictures and drawings and letters. And so please keep sending those to me. Also, as you're turning there to Mark chapter 9, where we're going to be setting up camp this morning, uh, I want to just let you know, starting uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together as a faith family next Sunday. Uh, when, so when we come and gather, so it's going to look different than we have done in the past. We're going to have individual cups and that are going to have the juice and the bread already prepackaged. Uh, they're going to be sanitized and we'll be distributing those out uh, next week. For those who are going to be engaging with us via live stream, we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. It will take place towards the end of the service. It'll be one of the last things that we do. Um, but next week, just prepare some crackers and juice or some bread and, and just get that set aside. And next week, we will take the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. We saw last week a mountaintop experience that Jesus had with his inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John. They witnessed the Messiah transformed right before their very eyes. They saw Jesus take on a temporary glorified body. And in the presence of Elijah and Moses, God the Father spoke over his son, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, mountaintop experiences are incredible. We love encountering Jesus in these moments like we never have before. Yesterday, our family was uh, driving in northeast uh, Alabama up towards into Georgia to go hiking for the day. And we drove past Covenant College. And as we drove by, my wife recalled how years ago she went to a summer camp there as a volunteer and she was explaining how that camp just changed her life. 
One of the best experiences where it's a mountaintop experience. It helped me recall back to my favorite camp that I was ever a part of, where I was a camp counselor with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we were at uh, uh, Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. I remember sitting in the auditorium in these old wooden chairs and staring at the words above the organ, holiness unto the Lord, and hearing the gospel, and there the Lord transforming my heart and life and beginning the process of calling me into ministry. These are mountaintop experiences in which we want to stay there forever. But we see where Jesus takes these three, and they don't stay there because it's time to go back down the mountain. Because it's in the valley that there is hard work and sweat and toil, but that's where the fruit is. And there are people who need the gospel. There are people in our lives today who are lost, living in the dark, and they are in desperate need of Jesus. And so God has strategically placed you and I to impact them for Christ, to share the gospel, and to drive them to Jesus. As much as we love mountaintop experiences, just like we saw last week in Mark chapter 9, the time comes in which we go back down the mountain and we see where God sets us apart to impact people for Jesus. And after this mountaintop experience, the disciples and Jesus, they're hiking back down. And Jesus tells the other three, tell no one what you saw until the Son of Man rises again. Now, the disciples were not exactly sure what that meant. They're like, okay, cool. After the Son of Man rises again, what does that mean? But they're too nervous to ask Jesus. And that's where it picks up in Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the, whole crowd saw, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. And after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. The nine disciples who did not go up the mountain with Jesus had just failed to cast a demon out of a boy. 
Jesus uses this moment to teach, rebuke, correct, encourage, and display his power to those around him. Notice these four realities here in the text. I want you to see first the crowd's attraction to Jesus. When Jesus in his inner three met up with the other nine disciples, there was a large crowd gathered around the nine. These scribes, these experts in the law, these Pharisees are arguing with them. And as Jesus arrives on the scene, the crowd ran to him. They were amazed by him, verse 15. That word amazed, it carries the idea of great surprise and excitement. Mark uses the exact same word at the end of his gospel when the women show up to Jesus' empty tomb and they see an angel and they are amazed. They are in awe. Well, here is this crowd overwhelmed with wonder and awe at Jesus. And the question I've got is, what was it about Jesus that drew this crowd in? Well, Mark doesn't tell us. But it may have been that the glory of God was still shining through Jesus as he descended the mountain. Remember last week where we paralleled and we compared the mountain experience of Jesus up on a mountain with Moses up on Mount Sinai. And when Moses came down the mountain, his face was shining so much and people were terrified of him. In fact, Exodus 34, 30 says that when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. The glory of God that was shining off the face of Moses was so great that he put a veil over his face to make sure that people weren't afraid to come near him. Well, here the exact opposite is happening. The crowd sees Jesus and they run to him. You see, the glory of the law of God in Moses, it repels. But the glory of God in the gospel attracts. Just as the law of God com compels us towards self-righteousness if we seek to obey it in our own strength. It leads us to have to try and obey God in our own strength. Many of the Jews would see God's law as a means of trying to keep the law so that they could be right with God and completely missing the whole point of it. And as the law of God in Moses would come down the mountain, the people were afraid. But the exact opposite is happening here. The gospel, the free grace of God in Jesus is attractive. The people are running to him. You see, dead religion is repulsive, but the gospel of Jesus Christ appeals to the broken. And when they saw Jesus, they were amazed. Beloved, never stop being amazed by Jesus. Never stop being amazed at who he is. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Beloved, run to Jesus and be amazed. But secondly, I want you to see in the text, I want you to see Jesus' aggravation 
with the disciples and scribes. Jesus asks the question, verse 16, what are you arguing with them about? Now, Jesus already knew what was going on. Again, he's the master teacher. And Jesus would often use questions like a bucket drawing out the well of someone's heart. We see it later on when he does this with the father in verse 21. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Jesus is the man of understanding who is drawing out what is deep inside the hearts of these disciples. Well, before the disciples and the scribes could, res- could, could respond to Jesus' question, the boy's father chimes in. Look at verse 17. Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. You can hear the desperation in this father's voice. He's in pain. He's like so many parents who day by day, their children are suffering and they feel helpless as a parent. They can't help their child. Oh, if I could just trade places with my kid. Jesus, he's suffering. This man is burdened and he's struggling because his son is going through so much pain. The man came to see Jesus, but he wasn't there. Remember, he was up on the mountain. So he comes to Jesus' nine disciples. Now, they've already had experience with this. Remember back in chapter 6? Jesus sends them out in two by two, and they're casting out demons, and they're healing the sick. What's the matter with this one? We can do it again here. But then they fail. They can't cast the demon out. And Jesus asks two rhetorical questions. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? See, Jesus is aggravated with his disciples and the scribes, particularly his disciples. He has spent two and a half years investing in them. And yet, once again, they fail the test. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Ah, I love that. Jesus is like, all right, time to stop messing around. Let me show you who I am as the son of God. If this is a problem that's going to be existing, it's time for me as the savior to solve it. Beloved, you may look back on decisions that you've made and have great regret. It may be a moral failure, maybe financial foolishness, unkind words, impulsive behavior, stupid decisions, selfish ambition. Hear me on this. Your failure is not final when you bring it to Jesus. If you look back on poor decisions that you've made, when you look back with regret, would you confess them to Jesus? Would you bring your failures to Jesus? Here he is, Jesus says, bring me the boy. Jesus knows that he alone is the answer. He is the one who can fix it. And beloved, you may look back on previous failures in your past. Bring them to Jesus. And say, oh God, would you, would you take this failure of mine and would you not only forgive me, but would you redeem this? Jesus is saying, bring the boy to me. He is saying to you, bring your sin to me. Bring your shame to me. Bring your past 
to me. Bring your failure to me. You see, there's no situation so bad, no sin so egregious, no need so great that Jesus can't forgive, heal, and meet that need. He is an all-powerful Savior. He is the one who draws near to the brokenhearted, and he cares for you. He's fully aware of your failures, and he invites you to come. Bring the boy to me. Jesus is inviting you to come. Don't hide the failures in your past. Expose them to the Savior. Bring them to Jesus. Beloved, you might have people in your life right now who are far from God. Even right now, would you bring them to Jesus in prayer? Maybe your husband is walking in foolishness and he needs to be reminded of the gospel. Right now, beloved wife, bring him to Jesus in prayer. Maybe your wife is walking away from the Lord. Beloved husband, right now, bring her to Jesus in prayer. Maybe you have a child who continually makes poor choices and you're scratching your head saying, why do you keep doing this right now, parent? Bring your child to Jesus. You may have grandchildren that you just are so frustrated and brokenhearted over. Bring them to Jesus. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. The disciples have failed. They fumbled. They had the opportunity to cast out this demon, as we'll see in a few minutes. They were looking to their own strength. They were trusting in their own power. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Beloved, bring your failures to Jesus. The third truth I want you to see here in the text is I want you to see Jesus' invitation to believe. The boy is brought to Jesus, verse 20. And when the spirit saw Jesus, this evil spirit, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. All right, this demon, he's not going down without a fight. And as the boy is possessed and being beaten up by the evil spirit, Jesus asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? Now, once again, Jesus already knows He's fully aware. What's he doing? He's drawing out what's inside of the man's heart. Like a triage nurse assessing the situation, Jesus is once again using the bucket of a question to pull out the faith in this man's heart. Well, since childhood, this boy, he's been thrown into fire. He's been thrown into water. It's as if this demon is trying to destroy him. Verse 22, but if, I love that, this father is desperate, but he's humble and he's honest. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion. Please help us. Do you hear the desperation in his voice? Do you hear this father who's begging Jesus, please save my boy. Please, I've, I've got to have you. No one else can do it, not even your disciples. If you can do this, this man's faith is weak and small, but it's pointed in the right direction. He's hopeful that Jesus will heal his son. I love his honesty, his humility. He's saying, Jesus, my faith is weak, but I trust you. And I trust only you. You can deliver him. So please, 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 in spite of me, in spite of my lack of faith, Jesus, would you rescue my boy? Jesus responds, verse 23, if you can, 
You see, Jesus is drawing out this man's faith. He's inviting him to trust him completely. Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is calling this man to trust in his sovereign power. As one who can do anything, for those who trust in Jesus, you see, God is in the impossible business. He loves to show his power when people trust in him. Some of you were thinking, there's someone in my life who is far from God. There's no way they'll ever trust in Christ. Everything is possible for him who believes. You may be facing an impossible situation at work right now. It's like, ah, there's no way this is going to be fixed. Everything is possible for him who believes. Uh, there's no way I can make financial ends meet this month. We are not going to make it. Everything is possible for him who believes. The doctor just diagnosed me with something terrible. Everything is possible for him who believes. Jesus here is calling out to this man saying, trust me. Trust in me. Everything is possible for him who believes. When you trust in me, watch what God will do. So, what do you think is impossible for God? Ah, there's no way God could ever do that. Trust him and watch. You see, Jesus did not just want to heal the son without watering the mustard seed of faith in this father. And the father responds, verse 24, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I do trust you. But right now, I don't, I don't have all the faith that's necessary. Will you help me? Maybe that's you. Your child continues to walk away and walk in foolishness, and you're just saying, Jesus, I do trust you. Would you help my unbelief? God, I've got this diagnosis in my family and I do trust you. But would you help my unbelief? I can identify with this father. A man saying, God, I trust you, but boy, my faith is not where it should be. In essence, he's saying, God, I, I trust you, but I don't know how it's going to work. Beloved, if your faith is not strong today, Bring it to Jesus and say, help my unbelief. In areas of my heart and life where I don't trust you, fear of loneliness, fear of failure, fear of insecurity, fear of death, Jesus, would you help my unbelief? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven six. now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. Jesus is the man that you need. He is the son of man and the son of God. And here he is making himself available to you saying, trust me. Jesus, I do trust you, but I've got so much unbelief in my heart. Help my unbelief and watch him work. If you're having a hard time believing Jesus right now, cry out to him from your heart.
help my unbelief. I've got doubts. I've got fears. I've got struggles and insecurities. Bring them to Jesus. Ask for help. For everything is possible for him who believes. Fourthly, I want you to see Jesus' domination over the demon. As the crowd is gathering, Jesus rebuked the demon, commanded it to come out, never to return again. Jesus is putting a no trespassing sign over this little boy's life. Now, no demon is a match for Jesus. Jesus has power over all demons and strips them of their power. It's amazing when you read the Gospels, you see demons who are terrified of Jesus because they know who he is. In fact, we see that Jesus, through the cross, disarms demons. Colossians 2.15, Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. So the evil spirit leaves, but not without throwing the boy into terrible convulsions. And after he left, uh, the, the evil spirit leaves, the little boy looks like a corpse. He looks like he's dead. So verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand. I love that took him by the hand, points us back to chapter 5, where we see Jesus go to Jairus' daughter, who's dead. And he walks in there, he prays over her, takes her by the hand and says, Talitha kum, I say to you, little girl, arise. And up she comes from the dead. And here we see Jesus take this boy by the hand. And the text literally reads, Jesus raised him and he was resurrected. Isn't this so good? Isn't this so good? I, but y'all didn't see this. I love these last four words here. The end of, verse 20, end of verse 26, beginning of verse 27. He's dead, but Jesus. <laughs> He's dead, but Jesus. This little boy, he's dead, but Jesus. For you and I, we were spiritually, we were just like this little boy. We were under the control of Satan. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were walking according to the ways of this world. We were living according to the ruler of the power of the air. But Jesus... We used to be spiritually dead, but now in Christ, we are alive. We have been transformed by Jesus. For just as Jesus raised this young man up, so too will Jesus on the last day raise you up. It's beautiful. Romans 8, 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and because he lives, we too shall live with him. The resurrection power of Jesus now lives inside of all who trust in him. For on Good Friday, the soldiers looked at the cross and said, he's dead, but Jesus. Satan looked at the cross and said, he's dead, but Jesus. For Satan himself 
looks at your old nature and says, he's dead, but Jesus. And there's coming a day in which you take your last breath and the world will look at your lifeless body and say, she's dead. The spirit will say, but Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Just as Jesus brought life to this little boy's body, so too will Jesus bring life to all who believe upon him. Don't miss the resurrection power of Jesus that we see here in this text. We see Jesus who has power and authority over death itself, and he proves it through his cross and the empty tomb. Do you see how the resurrection changes everything? As a pastor, I do lots of funerals, and it's amazing to me. It's stark, the contrast between someone who has died as a follower of Jesus and someone who has died who was not. And there's an unseeable, intangible, but very real feel in the there's this, for the believer, a sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's this sadness and yet glad living hope, knowing that this person is more alive than they have ever been. But then also the, the damp, dark grief in the room when this person did not know Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Christ changes everything. It changes your life. Believe the gospel. The world says he's dead, but God says, but Jesus. But the disciples, they're still not quite clear on what they've done wrong. What happened? Verse 28. After Jesus had gone to the house, his disciples asked him in private, why couldn't we drive it out? Isn't that interesting right there? Notice what they said there. Why couldn't we drive it out? There's the key. There they are. They're trusting in their own strength. They're depending upon their own ability. They've already gone from town to town, two by two, casting out demons, healing the sick. What happened here? Jesus says this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Jesus is not saying that some exorcisms require prayer, but others don't. No, he's saying all spiritual battles require prayer. You have to pray. You see, when we try to work for God in our own strength, we will fail just like these disciples. And the danger that you and I face is if we are resting in spiritual victories of the past apart from trusting in the power of Jesus today. If we work for God and serve God in our own strength, we will fail just like these disciples. Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus says, you didn't pray. You didn't seek the power that's outside of you. You are a dependent people. You are in desperate need of me. The disciples showed their lack of faith by their lack of prayer. 
You see, the strength of your faith is revealed in the depth of your prayers. You see, if your prayer life is tepid, it's revealing the faith. And the danger that we're in in this season as a nation is falling into a spiritual lull. Not praying as hard as we used to, not seeking the Lord as diligently as we used to, not digging into the scriptures like we once were. I want to challenge you. Don't allow that lull to, to seep in because we will find ourselves failing just like the disciples did. You see, our failures are a reminder that we are still in desperate need of Jesus. And in reality, all of us are going to fail. So what do we do? Well, we look at the grace that God's given to us, and it's your impact point, and it's this. When you fail, run to Jesus and believe. You run to Jesus. When you fail, not if, when you fail, run to Jesus. He is the one who is the perfect son of man, the perfect son of God, the perfect savior who is your strength, who is your power and who will take your failure and turn it around. He will redeem it, and he will use it for something bigger than you can imagine because that is who he is, and that is what he does for us in the gospel. Through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus takes our failures, turns them around, and uses them for victory for our good, and for the fame of his.